Ladies and gentlemen and children from all ages, welcome to the matchup of the millennium. In this corner, digging through your garbage, amazing stories. And in the opposing corner, snooping around your basement, are you afraid of the dark? Chrononauts, kind hunters, goblins, and ghouls, this is Put Up Your Spoon! This week's theme... Neighbors. I will say, Jeff, that I completely forgot the theme of this week's episode until I sat down to watch your episode and the guy said... Neighbors are always strange. Those are the rules. This one goes out to our good friend Danny Seckel of 16 and Bag fame. Well, he joined us on a few episodes, if you'll remember. Thanks, Danny. And enjoy your new house. So I did an episode of Amazing Stories called Such Interesting Neighbors. And this is a story about the Lewis family. And the Lewis family has just moved into a new housing development. Al is a big, doofy dad type. And uh, he gets spooked by his son, Randy, who walks in with a huge dead rattlesnake on a stick. Al tells Randy to get rid of it before his mother sees it, but it's too late. She yells and worries about this new place of theirs in Arizona. Nell is very pregnant and she's worried about the poisonous snakes that night as they watch tv randy fixes the remote providing his sort of uh little genius uh credentials and the water in the house starts vibrating there's an earthquake coyotes start howling now nell is really worried and she's freaking out a lamp falls over and al dives to catch it but it breaks and then suddenly time resets and this time Al catches the lamp everyone experiences a weird feeling of deja vu then they see lights in the house next door and it's supposed to be empty so Al thinks it might be thieves so he and Randy scope it out and they see a pale man smashing a metal football they decide to come back in the morning the next morning Randy is wearing a cyber helmet and spying on the neighbors who are all sitting in their own backyard Come see our new neighbors, zombioids from Dudley Drive. Man, are they ever bizarre. The Lewises go meet the neighbors, Ted Hellenbeck and and their son, Brad. They're all pale and pretty, and Ted Hellenbeck has price tags dangling from his clothes, and he speaks in a weird, stilted manner. Hi, Al. My name is Ted Hellenbeck. This is my wife, Anne. This little tyke is my son, Brad. Brad Hellenbeck. He's a real chip off the old block. Glad to know you. While they're all out talking, Randy sneaks into their dumpster and takes out a bunch of wrecked electronic parts. So he reassembles the metal football in his room and turns it on. A blue flame burns through the wall and a floating orb of light enters the football. He fucks off to go get some yucky meatloaf. Before they can eat, a bunch of red orbs start burning through the walls. And uh, Ted Hellenbeck, their neighbor, runs over and warns them to stay away from the orbs because they're heat seekers. And uh, the first heat seeker flies into their TV and blows it up. The next one comes out and uh, Nell grabs a toaster and she catches it and then she chucks the toaster. The toaster explodes. Third one flies after their son, Randy. He opens the oven and it flies into the meatloaf and explodes it all over everyone 
win-win. The final Heat Seeker appears inside Al's chest. He runs screaming into the bathroom as his clothes start to burn. And there's a heat lamp and he turns it on, but it's not working in time. So he plugs in a hairdryer and he's like, come on, come on. And as the hairdryer warms up, it sucks the heat seeker out of him just in time. And we hear the explosion off screen and the door where the explosion takes place is framed with chunks of meatloaf. And I got to say, this scene was like legit horrifying. (laughs) I thought it was really well shot, well acted, really frightening. Even just the part where the glowing orb was inside him burning out his clothes. I mean, I don't understand how he survived that. Uh, I think it was like right at the edge of his chest Mm -hmm. because they... Uh, it looks like some of them like fly into the house and some of them just kind of pop into existence. Um, and I think this one just kind of popped into existence in his chest or like, I don't know. It was weird. So anyway, Al's pissed. He wants answers. And so the weird neighbors, the Hellenbecks confess that they are from 400 years in the future where they live in a perfect society. <laughs> They wanted to have natural birth and a natural son uh, the old-fashioned way. And so their son Brad is not a purified kid, which made them criminals, which is why they had to grab the metal football and flee to our time. Just then, the water in a dish starts to vibrate, which alerts them that there's a new time traveler. They go to the door, and a weird Terminator shows up and disintegrates Al. But there's another time flip. And the second time, Ted disarms the Terminator and disintegrates it. So they thank the Lewises, and they use the metal football to flee to some other time. The end. (laughs) Yeah, that Terminator was funny. I'm cutting in quotes of that thing for sure. Give that to me. The Terminator looked like a Walmart version of Darth Vader. (laughs) With with Cartman cop glasses, like you will respect my authority. The second time I watched it, I, I did a freeze frame on it. And it really is, like, literally patterned after Darth Vader with just, like, a shorter cropped helmet. Yeah. Um, but it still has, like, the big um, shoulders and the the cape that comes straight down and, like, little bits of, like, uh, symbols, like, etched into the front plate of its armor. Yeah, I thought that uh, that was really funny. The uh, main guy... Really, kind of looked like Stephen King. I, I recognized him, but I don't. I couldn't remember what he was from. And the mom was um, the mom from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ted Hellenbeck, um, their neighbor, was played by none other than Adam Ant, and that was awesome. I know I'm the '80s guy on this show, so Adam Ant. Does that mean anything to you? Do I you know, know the name. Is? Wasn't he like a? I thought it was like a musical act or something, right? <laughs> A musical no. act. Was he a, com- yeah, he, a comedian? He was a, no, he was a rock star. Right, right, right. But uh, when I was looking at his credits, I saw that uh, he's in two separate horror movies. One is a vampire comedy called Love Bites that I watched a clip of, and I'm sorely tempted to watch the rest of. And another is uh, a straight-up horror movie called Spellcaster. And, oh, yeah, uh, you sent me the trailer. Uh, I, I think that's one we should try to watch as a group, because that looks awesome. Agreed. So my theory about this episode is that um, 
somehow uh, the Helen Beck's kid and Randy swapped places or something because he is, you know, like a, a legitimate super genius. He saw their their time travel football once through a window and yeah, then was able to reassemble it. Even though the dad, sm- the future dad, smashed it with a hammer to smithereens, and it was like blowing up and sparking as he was smashing it, pretty impressive. This uh, episode had Spielberg written all over it. Like, I it was, was like, so Spielberg. Yeah, I-, I was like, oh man, I- like I wonder if this is Cuesta Verde before it- they finish building it. Yeah, it looked like the housing development from Poltergeist. Exactly. And then you had uh, the nuclear family. You know, there was Big Doofy Dad, there was Worried Mom, she, they had a baby on the way, they had a little uh, a little genius inventor-type son, they had a, a big shaggy dog. Like, everything was straight down the middle 80s Spielberg. Uh, but, I mean, that's, that's amazing stories. Oh, and, right, um, yeah. It was uh, produced by Spielberg. I think that's one of the reasons I forgot what the theme was, because I was... Like it was so, it was screaming poltergeist, and I was like, okay, what, you know, what's happening? Were you surprised when uh, Bobo Vader showed up? <laughs> well, at that point, no, because they were they were, they kept talking about how they were being tracked through time. I'm still so impressed by that heat seeker showing up in the the dude's chest. Yeah, that was cool. That was awesome. He still he should be dead though. It was a cool effect too. <laughs> It like was. where the it orbs would effect. like burn their way through stuff and float around. It was really cool. And explode meatloafs. Except yep. the, the uh Oh no no, it worked. At first I was like, What? You can't put him in the oven. That it's not even on, but I forgot that she was cooking meatloaf at the time. So That's they right. figured it out. They they covered all their bases. They really did. It was pretty tight. God bless meatloaf. Does it have little chunks of onions in it? Yes. Yes. Further along the cul de sac. You'll find my episode, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Nightly Neighbors. Now, I apologize, Danny, because we only did new neighbors. We didn't do moving into a new house, but close enough. You're the new neighbor, so I think you should do, like, some spooky stuff to spook out your the people whose neighborhood you moved into. Like, wander yeah. around only at night and uh, howl. Stare at bowls of water yeah. uh, in your backyard. You never get a second chance to make a first spook (laughs) so in my episode right off the bat i don't really mention the midnight society that often anymore but i gotta go there this time because my girl Kristen out of the gate with the fact that things are scarier at night why do we always tell scary stories at night i mean if they're scary they should be just as scary during the day right no way Things are always scarier at night. Because of course they are. And anybody who listens to our show will know my pet peeve about daytime horror. Sharp listeners to the podcast or anyone who knows Ryan, and I realize that the Venn diagram of those two things are basically (laughs) overlapping, (laughs) uh, will know that Ryan's whole philosophy on life comes from the beginning of this episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It, I was I was laughing so hard <laughs> when when this came up. So then Betty Ann shows up and she's she's like it's my turn. And then Eric, the little piece of shit, is like fuck you, Betty Ann. I hate your stories. They're so they're so trite and predictable. 
But then my girl Betty Ann agrees that things are scarier in the dark. And then my boy Gary also agrees. He thirds the motion. And uh, then I orgasm. Um, <laughs> Gorgasm, if you will. Gorgasm. <laughs> so the story begins, and a young boy, Day Day, clever name there, he's watching Night of the Living Dead. Now, whenever a kid in any of these kids' horror shows or movies is about to encounter the supernatural, they're always watching a movie first that's scary or spooky. Uh, his sister, Emma, spooks him real good, and she says... You won't catch me dead, wasting away in front of the tube. I'm going to do something with my life. So out the window, she notices new neighbors, ding, 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 moving in. And Day Day rightfully asks, At night? As they're staring out the window, the new neighbors, three of them, a mom, a dad, and a son, creepily turn to stare at the kids. And so they hide. The next morning, they accost a delivery guy who is... In another episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, one of my favorites, The Shiny Red Bicycle, which we'll get to eventually, because it's fucking awesome. So the delivery guy tells them, uh, the people, the bronze from the Ukraine, have a delivery of two fridges with instructions to leave them in the driveway if no one answers the door. So he leaves, and the kids notice that the car is in the garage, so they must be home, yet they didn't answer the door, so the kids speculate whether the bronze are KGB or gypsies. Uh, and as they're walking back into their house, their mom belts out and, like, uh, knocks the elderly mailman on his ass, but she can't stop to help. I'm late. Bye! I was really excited by the episode thus far because it opened on sibling rivalry, you know? So it, it, it struck hard and fast getting that across, and then it had the quintessence of the perfect spooky kid show mom, which is running down the driveway, pinwheeling her arms, screaming, I'm late! <laughs> so, and yeah. she was gone. So you have no parental supervision. Right. And I was like, Mwah, perfect. <laughs> spooky neighbors. That's all you need out of a mom in one of these shows. Spooky neighbors and parental neglect. The mailman is feeling, he, he kind of like <laughs> awkwardly picks himself up and make sure his bones are intact. And he's feeling sickly. He tells the kids the new neighbors visited him the other night, and he'll never forget it because that's when he started feeling sick. And he turns away to go on about his business, revealing a huge bandage on his neck. Further investigation reveals that the bronze never leave their house during the day, not even their little kid Lex. And then one night, Emma is taking out the garbage, and Lex, this little weirdo, appears behind her and says, Hello. <laughs> Can I come in and play? And she's like, nah. So then he leaves. And the mysterious weakness spreads throughout the town. And Emma has a dream one night that Mr. Braun appears in her window on a flying carpet of fog and is just about to drink her blood when she wakes up in a cold sweat. And therefore she knows without a shadow of a doubt that the Brauns are vampires in real life. Absolutely. That was like uh, Salem's Lot style. Yeah. Where the person appears outside the window in fog. and. It was uh, also very Are You Afraid of the Dark style, as we've yes. seen in several episodes thus far. Uh, but good use of fog juice. Oh, yeah. Chilled fog juice. Uh, she runs into Day Day's room, wakes him up, explains her theory, and he thinks, rightfully, that she is nuts. Then she goes over to a gigantic map on her wall, and she says... And where are they from? 
Here, Rovno, Ukraine. That's right in the middle of all those EA places. Romania, Bulgaria, Transylvania. She makes a plan to scope out their basement and prove that the fridges, quote unquote, were actually coffins. Before she goes, she hangs up garlic all over the place and tells Dede not to invite the vampires inside because they can't come in otherwise. Uh, she goes next door at night because the bronze always leave at the same time every night. She snoops around their basement and the bronze show up at Dede's door. Dede invites them in, but then quickly realizes his mistake and uninvites them, slams the door in their pale, pale faces. Then the mom comes in and invites them in for real. They come in, they explain all about the work they do, traveling with paramedics to bring medical techniques back to their home country. Uh, it's nice work, but it gets a bit bloody. In the basement, Emma's snooping around a little bit more. She finds a big locked, like, freezer cabinet thing, but she can't open it. Then she finds the two crates which contain fridges after all but they are also locked and she says if i can crack them at school i can crack them here so apparently she's a total delinquent who's like breaking into other kids lockers to steal their bubble gum uh the bronze have to leave because getting late and the dipshit mom invites them back anytime i guess it's not fair to call her a dipshit because she doesn't know they're vampires but they totally do look like vampires uh day day somehow beats them back to their house across the street and warns emma they open up the fridge anyway because she's desperate to see what's inside and it's full of glass bottles of blood and then they escape without being found but they leave the lock unlocked on the table they make a plan to break into the bronze house the next day and pound wooden stakes through their hearts otherwise you know they're probably gonna die this very night so they sneak back into the basement in the daytime and they try to unlock the big freezer but before they can finish someone comes down to the basement they hide under a table, and there's, like, legs that are walking around, and then the legs leave. Uh, the kids sneak back outside, but Mr. and Mrs. Braun are there in full sunlight. They explain that they have been switched off the night shift and that they have been storing excess blood for the hospital. They go on to say that Lex, their child, isn't feeling well, and could he possibly come over tonight to play video games? Uh, Lex and Emma walk away, cowed and ashamed, but safe, knowing they were wrong about the vampires all along, and hopefully relieved that they didn't murder anyone they didn't seem remorseful about the fact that they were about to commit murder with very little evidence very little evidence so they leave and then mr and mrs braun go down into the basement and they immediately know those rotten kids were snooping around down there they're like they they were here weren't they and and uh, mrs braun's like yeah but don't you worry tonight's the night then they thank the lucky stars the kids didn't finish opening the big freezer, which they then do, revealing a coffin with Lex, their master, inside. They're like, oh, no one would ever suspect a kid could be a vampire. And then Lex reveals his vampire teeth and goes, <laughs> Yeah, the, the twist is that the creepy parents are the servants they're the renfields right and they're the child is their master which um, was a good twist it was a good twist although it was never in question that the kid was a vampire or not it was more surprising that the parents weren't vampires because they were all pale with dark circles around their eyes and they were always talking about blood it was more surprising and it did give you plausible deniability or plausible suspension of of disbelief that 
when the kids saw the parents out in the daytime, they're like, no, we, we were just working a night shift. Now we work the day shift. Uh, and there's a, there's a reason for everything. And, and they did say that their kid was ill before. Yeah. So everything, you know, the, so the kids were unprepared for what was going to befall them that yeah. night. And they're probably going to take all the garlic down, too, and take off their little crosses. They're yeah, doomed. They're little... Scary ending. We should have been keeping yeah. tally of scary endings versus happy endings. A rare scary ending. Back out to the Midnight Society, where Betty Ann finishes her tale with this little ditty. With ghosts and ghouls, there are no rules. But a vampire's bite only comes at night. The end. And then the Midnight Society puts out the fire with the blood juice they were given at one point off camera. At some point... They're, they were drinking the master's blood. Yeah, Betty Ann gave them all red liquid and they were all too afraid to drink it. So they dumped it on the fire. And then the fire became a vampire fire. A vampire. Awesome. So Emma was insanely murder hungry she had one dream and then she was like stake these motherfuckers death to all suckheads yeah it was, <laughs> she declared open season on all suckheads for real <laughs> I, I gotta admit um mrs braun she was a she was a stone cold fox oh yeah quite a smoker wake up master the sun is gone so for such interesting neighbors body count I would say one robot, one rattlesnake. Oh, I was so scared of that rattlesnake because they can still bite even after death. That's true. That was the scariest part of the episode. Well, I, I thought the uh, heat seeker appearing in the dad's chest. Oh, yeah, was that was pretty scary. scary. Whether it's scare factor or shock factor, you know, this is a pretty whimsical sci-fi family episode. It, it was not horror by any stretch of the imagination. No. Nah. So I, I put it scare factor medium for the heat seeker in the chest scene and shock factor medium, you know, pretty shocking. There were Terminators and stuff. Uh, yeah, the it. Terminator was shocking, <laughs> especially it didn't like appear in their house. It like knocked at the front door and waited politely for them to open it. And it was like, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> ouch. I'm, I'm feeling pain. Take your hands off me. Take your hands off me. Gross factor, low, low to zero. Yeah. I mean, it had a d dead rattlesnake on a stick, I guess. Yeah. Theme of interesting neighbors. I would say 100%. Very high. Uh, what the factor? Well, I fully expected them to be evil neighbors. Like, I thought uh, they were going to be robots or something. Mm -hmm. uh, because that guy was, like, wailing on that machine. And they were introduced as kind of, like, maybe would-be robbers and stuff. So when they turned out to be just, like, quite affable and friendly and nice uh, and forthcoming, I uh, I found that to be a, a nice twist. All right. I give it a low what the fact. Uh -huh. um, I think its strongest rating is totally 80s. Just because of the, the suburbia and the Spielbergia? Uh, poltergeist housing development. Yeah. Super doofy dad. Whiz kid. Um heat seekers i don't know why in the 80s explorers it was total it was a total explorers thing or like on airwolf where they have like watch out these are heat seeking oh. missiles. Like <laughs> right. heat seeking was just like a, a big 
element of uh-huh. sci-fi in the 80s. Meatloaf as like the big joke. <laughs> I love Meatloaf. Was yeah. Very 80s. Meatloaf well, as a joke was, might be more of a 90s thing. I'm not sure. We might have to research no, that. It was it was very big in the 80s. <laughs> well, all portions were very big in the 80s. And uh, last but not least, Adam MFN Ant. Glad to know you. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? The tale of nightly neighbors. Body count. I don't know. I think they just drained. I don't know if they ever actually killed anybody. I'm going to put zero for body count. Yeah. Unless you count the vampire who was a body, technically. I do not, because you could have been born a vampire for all we know. Whoa. Scare factor? I mean, it had a, a good kid scare factor. You know, vampire in the window. It was good. I, I thought it. Um, they did a good job of adapting it to... A kid show. Gross factor. Well, the band-aids on the necks were pr- were a little bit gross. That always just kind of grosses me out, band-aids in general. Large band-aids yeah. are kind of upsetting. It's worse uh, when you like, find them just on the ground or, like, on your shoe, but, you know, on the body they're still kind of gross. Theme of interesting neighbors. Easily as equal to amazing stories. I think that's fair and accurate. They also both had neighbors in the title. Hella 90s? Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess. Was vampires more an 80s thing or more a 90s thing? I guess it kind of crossed decades. Yeah. What the factor? Yeah. It had, I, it had a n- nice twist. I think it had a nice twist, yeah. What I will say is uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I thought the the little brother, Day-Day, was, like, good. He was actually, like, yeah, bucking he tradition. Funny, he was snappy yeah. repartee. The, the Emma wasn't that great. And she had some rotten lines to deal with. They're vampires, all right. They gotta be. And he was also desperate to not murder people that he didn't know. <laughs> yes, he was. He was at least reluctant to murder people. <laughs> and the winner by a knockout. Amazing stories. Did you notice that when the Braun family came into the house, they cast reflections in the hallway mirror? I did not notice. Was it a mistake? Was it intentional? We'll never know. So my question for you, if you suspected your neighbor was a vampire, in all seriousness, what would you do? I was actually thinking about this while I watched the episode. Uh-huh. Rather than going into the belly of the beast at night, which they always do in vampire media, they're always going at night. Although I guess today, in this one, they actually did go in the daytime. So that was smart. That was a smart move. But still... Rather than going into their turf, I think I would, without proof, without definitive proof, I would fortify my, you know, room or whatever it was, Get make sure the garlic was there, make sure the crosses were all over the place, make sure I had, you know, protection, as much protection as possible around my vital nerves, and I'd have my steak and my holy water, and then I'd wait for them to come to me. You know, once they're in your house, you can murder them and not go to jail. You murder them in their house, you're looking at... I don't know. 20 to life. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird when you live in a large city because it's just, no matter how safe your city is, just statistically there are murderers in your city. All over the damn place. And it's not incumbent upon you to go and hunt them all down and, and drive stakes in their hearts. Is it better just to kind of turn a blind eye and protect yourself? Now, what we normally get in these kinds of stories is... Either the vampires are coming for you, or they're after your boyfriend or girlfriend, or they're after a friend of yours, and then it's personal. Right. So I didn't think about that. Uh, In this one, they specifically went on the attack because they thought they were coming for them that night. 
which they were. They, they were correct. They were. They were right. Yeah. Um, so in that scenario, that's I guess what I would do. But in the in, in in case you needed to like prove it to yourself, maybe try following them to the other neighbor's house and watching whether they drink the neighbor's blood or not, so that you know for sure. It would definitely take a lot of. It would. You'd have to really. You'd have to do a lot of staking out. It's absolutely fascinating work, although sometimes a bit um bloody. Knock knock. Who's there? Time traveling vampire. Time traveling vampire who? Knock knock. Who's there? Time traveling vampire. Time traveling vampire who? Knock knock. Rerun for your life! Your new neighbor. May I come in? Uh, no. Uh, may I have a cup of blood? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, then may I have a cup of blood? Of course. Thank you. I'm gonna need that cup back. Oh. Then may I come in and give it to you? Uh, no. Oh, damn it. <laughs>